morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser. Today, we're going to be talking with Stacia Gar, who is one of the founders of a company called Red Research. Great name, and I'll let Stacia tell you all about it. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, John? I'm great. Would you take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience, please? Yeah, my name is Stacia Gar, and as you mentioned, I'm the co-founder and principal analyst with Red Thread Research. And tell me how you got here. I mean, you are a new firm in HR and HR technology. What is it that makes you think you have something to say here? <laughs> yeah, so, so Red Thread is a new firm, as you mentioned. We just crossed our one-year birthday, if you will. But I've been in the space for close to 15 years. So before I was founded Red Thread with uh, Danny Johnson, both of us actually were with Burson by Deloitte. I led the talent management research there for eight years. So for five years uh, after the acquisition and three years before that. And then before that, I was with CEB Gartner doing research on talent management and also actually designing learning. So how do you transition the insights from the research into uh, learning for HR, legal, and IT professionals? So I was there at CEB Gartner for about five years. So I've been in this for wow. a while. So you are an extremely seasoned, would you call yourself an industry analyst or a researcher? How do you describe what you do? Yeah, I would say both. So industry analyst and researcher, definitely. So at this point, you must be one of the senior people in, in the industry analyst universe, yeah? Yeah, along with you, John, <laughs> and, and some others. But yeah, I've been, been doing it for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, I've got you over the years. So, so tell me about Red Thread Research. Let's start with the name. How did you get to Red Thread Research? Yeah, so a red thread, is, is there are lots of different definitions as you and I were discussing just before we jumped on, but a red thread is a connection between two seemingly unrelated things. And so the, what we're trying to do with the research firm is to really look at what we see out there and make those connections that maybe others aren't. So some of the less obvious connections and trying to bring to light new information that folks may not be seeing today. This report that we're going to talk about today, I think, is a, is a prime example of, of trying to do that. So. So that's really where the name originated. Um, as I mentioned to you also, another variant of the name is uh, this concept of what's called a red thread circle, which is a ceremony that is common, uh, or, or we've been told is common within Native American populations, and uh, or at least some of them, obviously not, not all, but, but the idea being that folks come together, often women, but not always, come together in this red thread ceremony to uh, share their worries or their concerns. And what they do is they take a thread thread and they tie a loose loop around each person in the circle's wrist. And they, the red thread is symbolizing them coming together around this shared concern. And then at the end of it, after they've uh, had the conversation, maybe, maybe had some prayer, they will cut the thread and tie a piece of it around the wrist and take that away. And so that symbolism of coming together, sharing concerns, looking for solutions, and then going away with a piece of that shared experience is also what we're trying to do with the firm. So between those two concepts, we thought that Red Thread really seemed the right symbolism for what we're trying to do. So what a fantastic name. So you've got a new report out. What is it? Yeah, so we have a new report out that is on diversity and inclusion technology called DNI Technology, The Rise of a Transformative Market. 
and we did that in partnership with um, the good folks over at Mercer. And what's, tell me what it's about. I've never heard of DNI technology before. Yeah, so that, like I said, this kind of goes back to that concept of, of seeing maybe some uncommon connections or other connections that other folks may not be seeing. So when we started the firm, and I was trying to think about, you know, what do we, what do we see happening out there that isn't really being talked about? It's kind of some a new area that we think is important. And this topic of, of diversity and inclusion and technology really came to, to mind. And the reason for that was that when I was at my previous firm, I had led diversity inclusion research at that point for about five years. And when I started that research, I asked folks, like I did when I did any research on any talent practice, um, you know, I said, what, what are you doing with regard to technology to enable this practice? You know, I've, done, I've asked that question with performance management, with employee recognition, with talent management, et cetera. And there's, um, you know, always an answer. And with DNI, when I started asking this question, people literally gave me blank stares. They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I, I said, well, you know, are you using any technology to enable? And they said, well, we use e-learning and we might use some technology to make computers more accessible. So, you know, uh, reading out loud what might be on the computer, for instance, for somebody who is visually impaired. But nobody had any answer. So I thought at the time, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. And we went off on our way. Fast forward to, you know, the beginning of 2018, and we were post Me Too. We were post some of the technological developments, John, that you and I see in, the, in other spaces. So natural language processing and sentiment analysis. And, you know, everybody's talking AI, whether they actually do it or not, of course, is a different conversation. But, you know, there's all these changes. And I said, huh, I wonder what's out there. And so I just put something on LinkedIn and said, hey, is anybody doing anything related to DNI and technology? And it was like my LinkedIn exploded <laughs> with people who wanted to tell me about what they were doing and seeing. And so I said, oh, apparently there is something here now. And so uh, yeah, I think the first blog I posted on this, I called it, you know, a question becomes a quest because it became this crazy quest to find all these companies who are doing something in this space. And so this report that we published here uh, in February was really the culmination of that experience. That's interesting. So tell me what you mean by DNI technology. Yeah, so when we, when we talk about diversity and inclusion technology, we define it as an enterprise software that provides insights or alters processes or practices at either the individual organizational level in support of an organization's effort to become more diverse and inclusive. So the key points there, it provides insights that alters processes or practices. It can be at the individual organizational level, and it's focused on supporting the organization's efforts to become more diverse and inclusive. So it's not about compliance reporting um, or compliance software, but it's really about inflecting decisions, processes, practices for the organization more broadly. So that a lot of things can fit into that, and I know we'll talk about that in, in more detail, but at a high level, that's what we mean. That's interesting. So how many companies did you find are doing something? So we have 105 in the report and the interactive online tool that we built, um, which allows folks to kind of search for, for companies. And since, I published the, since we published the report, we have come across at least 10 or 15 more. So well, I'm sure that more will kind of come out of the woodwork as we continue to do the work. But 105 is the official number at the moment. So give me some, some slightly more concrete ideas about what this stuff does. There are 105 vendors producing diversity and inclusive technology. That's astonishing. 
Yeah, and and so I think the one of the important things to think about with regard to the spaces is the way that we define it. So we define at a high level um, three different types of vendors. The first is what we call a DNI focus vendors. So that vendor, that type of vendor, is primarily focused on helping organizations address their DNI challenges. So an example of that might be a vendor whose product focuses only on reducing unconscious bias during hiring. Like that is all that they do, right? That there's their entire reason for existing. A DNI feature vendor is another type. And we define those vendors as offering features or functionalities that cater specifically to DNI needs, but that's not their primary business. So an example of that might be a recruiting software vendor whose product can make all the resume names or identifying information blind, as they call it, so they remove it to minimize unconscious bias. So that's a DNI feature vendor. The final type that we include in the report is what we call a DNI friendly vendor. So they don't address DNI as their primary focus, and they don't necessarily have a feature devoted just to a diversity and inclusion um, reason, if you will. But what they do could positively impact DNI in an organization. So an example here might be a recruiting software vendor who uses AI or some way to automatically recommend appropriate candidates to hiring managers that could potentially reduce some of the uh, bias that happens at the beginning of the recruiting funnel. So that that way of that taxonomy really of thinking about vendors is important to understanding the space because, um, you know, it's not that there's 105 who say this is the only thing that we do, but there's 105 that we think are doing something related to this topic. So do you imagine, you know, um, you, you've been watching technology evolve for a long time now. Do you imagine that this evolves to be a, a sort of a functional area in enterprise software? I don't, I don't think I saw any enterprise companies really in your output, although I didn't look closely enough with that question, but do you imagine growing to become a silo in Workday or Oracle? Yes and no. So, so to answer your, or to answer the kind of side comment, um, there are a couple of enterprise companies, and, or three enterprise companies in there. So SAP SuccessFactors is in there. Workday is in there, as is, well, what was PeopleFluent? They actually spun off a group. Um, you know, they were acquired by LTG, but then they spun off a group uh, called Affirmity, which is focused just on, on DNI, but, you know, they were kind of an enterprise, uh, or they are enterprise. So, so, but to answer the, the other question, I, I think the space could go one of two ways from, from that perspective. One is, is that they do continue to, to go in kind of this um, develop a siloed set of, of uh, options or features or resources, whatever you want to call it. And the other is that the capa technical capabilities are increasingly woven into existing approaches. And I think that for the market, for this technology to make the biggest impact, the latter is probably where we're eventually going to go, where, where the capabilities and the features are woven into other software. That said, I think similar to what we see today there with other technologies, there's going to be a use case for a lot of these kind of more, you know, we call them DNI focus, but in other parlance, you know, we might call them uh, best of breed um, solutions. So it, it's good. we're going to continue to have kind of both of these things sitting together. The reason that I think it's good to have some of the interweaving is in all the research that I've done on diversity and inclusion in the past, 
what I have seen is that when you can make the biggest impact is when you have DNI as a part of your other decision-making processes um, and practices of how you do business. If it's a, you know, we have to step back and, oh, think about the DNI angle or did we run the DNI analysis? If that's always the second thought, it's going to be a thought that isn't always thought about. Um, so it's important to have it woven in. So I've never thought about this before, but it, it seems to me that what you'd want to do company is know about all of your attempts to reduce bias in the organization so, so that as our understanding of bias evolves, you could manage a lot of them. And you could ask questions like, are we being as effective in reducing bias in situation A versus situation B by collecting and reporting on the data? Right. So, so, yep. so you'd imagine that this mm -hmm. that this gets a little bit more scientific. It's kind of voodoo right now. Isn't it? Yeah, it, it absolutely is going to get more scientific. And and you know, just because capabilities are woven into practices and in, in technology, doesn't mean that you don't have like we do in in the rest of HR a single point of contact who is basically responsible for making sure that these things happen. And, you know, this, this is almost certainly going to be the chief diversity officer and, and her, his uh, team. But it absolutely is going to get more scientific. The two areas that are of the greatest interest for practitioners and customers of this technology, as well as where we see the most technology, is in talent acquisition and in uh, analytics. So, and I think the reason for that is it's both of those are spaces that are relatively prone to uh, metrics into being um, or metric driven, and so people can actually see what's the impact of the things that we're doing. I always thought that they went to recruiting because recruiting is more handy than the rest of the organization. Well, I think it's not too, John. <laughs> you know. So, so what are the big findings of the report? Yeah, there were, there were five big findings. Excuse me. Uh, the first one was with regard to the market as a whole. So, so the, as you can tell from what we've talked about, the, the market is fragmented, it's growing, and it's large. So we, we estimated based on you know, the revenue numbers that we were given and the org sizes and all the rest of that, we rest, estimated that the overall market size is about 100 million today. But what's interesting is it's just that we saw significant growth in the size of the market. So, you know, a lot of those, those companies are small companies and they are growing rapidly. So I think over half of the organizations were, the vendors were growing at over 100% year-over-year growth. So, so that was one big finding. Uh, second one was we categorized the solutions according to some of the kind of traditional talent management categories that we have used in the past. So um, talent acquisition, development, advancement, engagement, retention, and then analytics. And when we looked at kind of where the technologies fell out amongst those, uh, as I mentioned, the, the biggest was talent acquisition. And then that was followed by the uh, analytics space. So what was interesting, though, John, and I think you'll really, really get into this, is when we asked folks, what are the outcomes, what, when we asked the vendors, what are the outcomes against which your technology will be measured? How, what, what is success? They said um, in, increased employee engagement was the primary one. But only 12% of solutions are actually targeted at employee engagement. So it was kind of an interesting uh, distinction or, or dichotomy, really, that between what people said was success and what they were actually doing. That's interesting. How do you suppose you know? I think it's because employee engagement is so hot right now. 
And so everybody says, oh, we're going to drive engagement, which is then going to drive productivity. And so it's an easy way to say that we're going to make an impact. The, the question that I have then is, is, you know, are you actually making, like, is there a direct connection between what your software does and employee engagement? And, and it's, some of them probably would make an argument, well, if we have a more diverse and inclusive organization, we're going to have higher, which there is a connection there. But um, it's a bit fuzzy in terms of what many of these solutions do. Uh, and, you know, it, a lot of it's kind of like, well, we're now going to be able to make better decisions that will enable us to potentially be more diverse and inclusive. But it just seems like kind of a long string of ties to get to engagement. Whereas, for instance, a, a more direct tie would be we make, uh, we help an organization have more diverse talent pipelines. That would be a very direct connection that people, I think, actually could be measured on, uh, a vendor could be measured on versus what they're saying. We'll get down to this, I think, but, but I tend to think that, that a lot of these vendors are as sloppy in their science as they are in their positioning because <laughs> they, do, they don't know anything about the industry, right? They don't know anything about, about this particular customer and what it means. Now, an idea looking for a market, many of them, I believe. Yeah, I think I think some of them, and and in this space, I think it's it's interesting because it's come it's really becoming a market, and so folks are trying to figure out where who their customer is, right? Uh, diversity and inclusion chief diversity officers historically have not had much budget. So when I was actually at, at Burson, we did a study and we found that um, that the budget available for DNI per person per year, John, was fifty dollars per person. And when we looked at, for instance, how much a company spends on coffee per employee, it was more than that. <laughs> so, like, you know, these, these vendors are like, do we sell to the chief diversity officer? Because there isn't a lot of budget. But then HR is only starting to become interested in this space um, and to see it as part of their purview. And so this is a little bit of creating a new line item for them, which we both know is, is a hard thing to do um, as a category for, for a technology firm. For, for technology space. So I think that that is part of um, why these vendors might be positioning themselves that way. It's just because the buyer is not totally clear. Got it. So much of the emphasis here, as I understand it, is on reducing bias. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's a, that's a fair amount of the emphasis, yeah. Yeah, so do you think you could do that with technology? I mean, that's, that's, that's the real question here. It's, 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 can you actually have an impact on bias with technology? And, and what does that look like? Well, I think it, it comes down to how do you think about, how do we think about addressing bias, right? So in the last few years, one of the big focuses or foci in this space has been unconscious bias training, right? And we're going to teach people that they all have unconscious bias and, and that's an important thing to do. But the challenge that I think we come up against there is that is an individualized solution. So what has to happen in that situation is I have to go through the training and then when I'm confronted with a situation um, I have to think to myself, am I engaging in unconscious bias? Like, am I making a decision here based on my, you know, uh, to use Daniel Kahneman's, you know, my, my thinking fast and slow, you know, on, on my kind of thinking fast or what, what's happening? And then I have to make a different decision. And that requires a lot of focus on the individual. Where the technology, I think, can come in is it can highlight for folks where bias, whether conscious or not, um, is happening and flag it for people and say, hey, something might be happening here. 
And then it is entirely incumbent upon the individuals involved to understand and to do something different. And if they don't have an appetite or an openness to understanding that some bias might be occurring in that instance, then no, the technology isn't going to change it. But if, but where it can potentially change it is if people didn't think that there might be bias there or didn't think to think about the bias and it flags it for them and helps them see that something might be occurring, then yes, I think it can have a positive impact on addressing bias. Have you seen any software that does something other than look at bias associated with protected classes of employees? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, when we, when we think about some of this, so, so let's, one of the most common um, examples that I hear is, um, is around sourcing, right? And, and particularly sourcing female technical talent. So, you know, I live in the Silicon Valley and we hear a lot about, about this challenge. I put air quotes around challenge. But the, what we hear is, is we can't, we can't find these people. They don't exist. Well, there's quite a bit of technology out there that will help you either look at different sources of talent. So, so whether it's some of these different groups that kind of gather people who are of, of different backgrounds um, and allow you to search by search for them. There's other ones that will other technology that will actually change job descriptions to help you address potential bias, so that you are getting a bigger flow of of individuals in. And then there's other technologies that have in their um, AI, and I, I kind of hesitate to use that word, let's say they're matching algorithms, have developed ways to potentially account for what may be happening in terms of the resumes or even just who's applying for, for the different um, roles. And so uh, to bubble up people who, you know, in this example, women um, with technical talent who may not have shown up right at the top or who may not have even thought to apply. So none of that has to do with conscious bias. It all has to do with how do we get more people into the talent pipeline and who are of a different background than what we would, what we have historically seen. So that's one, one example. Got it. So that's correcting the problem before bias can be applied to it is, is, is what that would be, huh? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So we, and, we have just whipped through time, and, and, and I want to be cognizant <laughs> of this because I want to be sure that you have some time to make sure that people get something important about about doing. So, so is, is there something you want a listener to take away from this? Yeah, I think the, the most important thing is that the world of diversity and inclusion is shifting. I feel like, you know, we've been saying that for a while, but, but with some of the developments across the last 18 months, I really am seeing massive changes. If nothing else, just the sheer interest in this report reinforces that. But in, in, in one of the things we've seen historically that has been a reason that folks were not so we may be more cautious about getting into this space has been um, a concern about some of the legal issues that might arise out of, out of doing this type of work. And what this research has shown me is that there are organizations that are figuring out a way to manage that risk successfully, effectively. And that right now, because so many organizations are grappling with it and there's so many changes from a legal perspective, like for instance, in the UK, you know, they passed this gender uh, pay equity law last year. There's so many changes that people are, it, it's, a, it's a rare opportunity, I think, to kind of get your house in order, if you will. 
um, and there's new technologies that can enable you to do it. So I would just encourage people to take this opportunity to make that those changes because at some point it's going to become an expectation that that this stuff is fixed, and I don't think that's far away. So hopefully folks can read the report. Um, I don't know if you'll be posting a link to it, but but it's on our site, uh, redthreadresearch.com, and, and hopefully this will help advance that for folks. That's great. That's great. So what's the best way for somebody to learn some more? Yeah, so folks can certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn and on Twitter, but uh, if you want to reach out and email me directly, I'm at Stacia, which is S-T-A-C-I-A, at redthreadresearch.com, and I'd love to hear from folks. Thanks for taking the time to do this, Stacia. It's been a, a great and blistering conversation. I think it, it was certainly interesting for me, and <laughs> that's, that's, that's a big deal. Well, thank you, John, for the opportunity. I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, well, good luck with Red Thread Research. It's, it's, a, it's a great idea, and this is a great report. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Stacia Gar, who is the co-founder and principal analyst at Red Thread Research. Check her out. Thanks very much, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye.